You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, welcome to the tribe. How are we doing today? Good. So good to see you guys today. Huge welcome to those of you that are new, uh, first-time guests with us, um, as well as those of you that are worshiping right next door at the cafe and online. Uh, We're so glad you're here. And uh, in case you're coming for the first time, we've been in this conversation uh, or series of conversations called Emotional Health and the demonic. Now, uh, pump the brakes for a minute because I know that some of you hear uh, emotional health and the demonic and it brings all kinds of stuff to your head, right? It's like, hey, is this one of those churches that think there's a demon behind everything? It's like, there's a gluten intolerance, clearly a demon. No, no, okay. It's like uh, all the vegetarians and vegans are like, it's the meat demon. No, no, meat is not demonic, man. I don't eat anything unless it can run for its life. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm totally into meat. Um, uh, but something that is demonic, uh, Kawhi Leonard shots now. Okay, since he left the Spurs, clearly demonic. Uh, that's how that shot went in in the Philadelphia Game 7. Uh, the other day, a demon just tapped it right in for Kawhi. And I need to revisit the service on bitterness and unforgiveness because I'm just a bitter Spurs fan right now uh, as the Spurs are sitting at home, not in the playoffs. But um, um, even though I'm kidding around about that, A lot of well-meaning Christians have way over-spiritualized a lot of human behavior that's really just human choice, and that's why during this series, uh, we have had to say a couple of disclaimers that when we talk about emotional health and demonic, we're not talking about uh, every uh, uh, emotional health issue or, um, you know, emotional illness is not demon possession. We know that, right? We also know that um, if your doctor prescribes you some meds to take for a condition, You don't just throw away your meds and pray more, okay? Uh, So we don't want to do more harm to people by over-spiritualizing what's going on. Um, At the same time, uh, we are saying that there is a connection between our mental well-being and demonic spirits. We believe that they're real. The Bible teaches it, and more and more scholars are awakening to the reality of demons in the spiritual realm and spiritual warfare. One such is a such professor is actually Dr. Richard Gallagher. He's trained at Princeton and Yale. He's a board-certified psychiatrist, a professor of clinical psychiatry at New York Medical College. Uh, he is a devout Catholic Christian who consults with priests to help them see the difference between uh, real mental illnesses and uh, demonic spirits in their practice of exorcism. Um, in fact, I'll probably talk more about Dr. Gallagher next Sunday in the service on Uh, counterfeit spirituality. So that's going to be probably the weirdest one of the whole series. So I don't recommend taking your kids to that one. In fact, it's going to be so weird that you probably don't want to come yourself. Okay. So uh, (laughs) anyways, um, though demons are real, the most of the spiritual warfare that you and I are dealing with on a day-to-day basis really has more to do with our thoughts. And that's why each week we've been saying, thinking about your thinking is not what? Overthinking is it? We got to think through our thoughts. Are our thoughts coming from God and His Holy Spirit? Are they just our thoughts? Are they being shot into our minds from demonic spirits? Right. And this week we're going to look at uh, thoughts of fear. Fear can enter into a person. Uh, it can be a doorway through which demonic spirits try to influence our lives. Oftentimes, uh, what we've learned is that those. Fear spirits come into our lives typically when we're younger. Sometimes it's through something 
like uh, maybe a TV that was too violent or a video game or movies or something like that. Um, but a lot of times it happens through witnessing abuse or being abused yourself. And so uh, fear can enter in and start controlling our destinies. Um, now, there's good kind of fears, aren't there? I mean, if you're afraid of bears, you know, and you're being chased by a bear, that's probably a pretty good fear, isn't it? You can run faster to get away from it. Or uh, if you're next to a cliff, fear is a good thing, you know, so you don't accidentally step off. You know, the people in the front row are always afraid I'm going to step off on them, right? And the, so it's like fear can be good and serve us well. In fact, sometimes it uh, causes your adrenal glands to pump out more adrenaline to help you do things more efficiently and better when you're in the midst of fear. That's why I like this article in Scientific American. It was written by Jeff Wise, and he talks about Tom Boyle, who witnessed uh, an accident in which a cyclist was biking along the road, and he got run over by a Camaro. And the cyclist was stuck underneath the Camaro. And this particular guy, Tom Boyle, got out of his car, and he literally lifted up the Camaro high enough for someone to pull the cyclist out from under the Camaro. Now, you got to understand, Tom Boyle is a big old boy. I mean, he's a strong dude. Um, but a Camaro is 3,000 pounds. Stock Camaro, 3,000. Um, world record deadlift, I think, is somewhere a little over 1,000 pounds. So something was going on there that helped him to lift up that car. And according to the article, that something was the body's fear response. When we find ourselves under intense pressure, fear unleashes reserves of energy that normally remain inaccessible. We become, in effect, superhuman. You only have to watch a mother when you threaten her child, right, to see this type of thing, uh, how fear gives us superhuman awareness and abilities oftentimes. But there's also a bad kind of fear, whereas good fear empowers us to act. Bad fear can paralyze us, can it? Um, it renders you immobile many times. And so when your autonomic nervous system is always on due to fear, fear, it can uh, put you in this constant fight or flight condition where there's an over-secretion of adrenaline and cortisol, and what it does is it degrades and destroys your immune system. It can even affect the calcium inside of your bones. So I was interested in a book uh, by a guy named Art Matthias, um, and that book's title is Biblical Foundations for Freedom, and Art's story goes something like this. In the, back in the 90s, uh, he was suffering from this disease. It was called uh, peripheral neuropathy, and it caused him to be allergic to most foods or hardly anything that he could eat without having some type of a reaction, and his doctors told him, you're going to die within uh, two years. So he's suffering, and he's like following God, trying to serve God, but his body is suffering. He's going to die in less than two years. And so he gets on the phone, and he's talking to his sister, who's also a Christ follower. And she explains that she went through a process of praying through. I mean, it was an extensive process where she met with these people, and she dealt with unforgiveness issues and fear issues, and she prayed through those issues, and she had a physical condition that actually got healed. And Art kind of rolled his eyes and, you know, thought that sounded kind of hokey to him. But he didn't have much to lose, did he? Because he was going to die in less than two years. So he submitted himself to a process of working through, like he did a fearless moral inventory, worked through the forgiveness issues that he had and the fears he prayed through him. 
and his autoimmune system started to heal over. And then his body was able to heal itself of the peripheral uh, neuropathy. So um, it, it, he was healed up and doing so well that people started coming to art to find out what happened, how he did it, how he got over this condition. And so many people were coming to him that he went ahead and went to school and got his master's degree in counseling. He got his doctorate degree in counseling, and he opened up Wellspring Ministries. And to this day, Wellspring Ministries is helping people deal with their significant fear issues, and people are actually experiencing physical healing from dealing with the fear issues that are in their hearts. Now, what I'm not saying today is that every time we pray for something, someone's going to get healed. Now, certainly God is still in the healing business. He's doing that. We have seen that in our church. Um, But, uh, you know, we're all eventually going to die anyway, aren't we? I mean, even if you get healed in this life, uh, you're going to die at some point. That said, uh, the Harvard Health Publishing tells us that Anxiety and fear contribute to physical diseases like heart disease, chronic respiratory disorders, as well as gastrointestinal conditions. So could it be that a lot of us are dealing with physical ailments that we don't have to put up with, and if we were to root out fear in our hearts, that it could actually help our immune systems to keep our bodies in better health? Is anybody on board with better health and and? And, and what happens is, is in our hearts, when we feel this fear, it's like it excretes these chemicals that are killing us, right? It's killing us. So um, let's look at how David dealt with it in the Bible. If you're one of those people that likes to kind of follow along on your phone app Bible, you know, so you can highlight stuff or in your physical Bible, um, do that. Um, others, the rest of you, just be slackers and look on the screen. Yeah, there it'll be, Psalm chapter 3, verse 1 through 8. Um, David prays, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake up again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. You know, I love that text, and I love the way David writes things down, writes down his prayers. And one of the things I really love about the Bible is you see these raw, honest, and very real kinds of prayers. David is not cleaning things up to write it down for us to enjoy today. I mean, he's praying like, God, kick my enemy in the teeth, right? Now you have a brand new prayer for your boss at work. Kick him in the teeth, right? And it's like he is getting for reals with us uh, in this text. And we see a couple of different ways that people deal with and process their fears and negative emotions. In recovery, we say that some people are stuffers. You know what a stuffer is? They just stuff it all down and never deal with it at all, right? It's it's too painful. They just stuff it down and never talk about it um, as the stuffers. But we all know what happens to stuffers. They blow up at some point. I see wives like nudging their husband. You're a stuffer. Anyways, and then some people are venters, okay? Husbands, this is where you can nudge your wife back, right? Uh, Because some people are venters. They just get it all out. They'll tell anybody, right? Have you ever been around a venter? They just like tell you all their emotions. You feel like you're being emotionally thrown up on. It's like, you know, I feel this, 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 this. But here's the problem with venters. 
is that when you overvent in environments where it won't help, you're actually giving more power to the negative emotion on your life. And so what David does is he chooses like a third way, a whole different method. He does get it out, but he gets it out to someone that can help. He takes it to God, and he does this continual calling out to God through prayer. He's processing his emotions through calling out to God. That's why I want to boil this talk down to one simple thought, and it's continual calling out comes fierce. Continual calling out calms fears. If you look at the Psalms, you would see that it, David calling out to God doesn't end in chapter 3 here. It goes throughout the entire book where he's like calling out to God, getting real with God, calling out to God. So would you say that one idea with me out loud? Ready? Here we go. Continual calling out calms fears. That would be really great if you all were the early service, but hey, you've had plenty of time to sleep, man. Come on, let's try this again. Here we go. Ready? Continual calling out calms fears. That is good. So what we're going to do is we're going to break that down. Um, but before we do, I think if we're going to be real ourselves, we all want to get real today, don't we? We don't want to play church today. We want to get real with God. And I want to ask you, here's where you get real. I want you to bring to mind your fears this is where the rubber meets the road for you and I. It's all fun and games to break down fear and talk about it and read studies on it. But what is it that you fear the most? Now, I'm going to give you some ideas that are pretty common fears, and maybe it'll hit a few of you. And that is fear of intimacy. Some people are afraid of growing close in relationships, and the fear of intimacy is very close with fear of rejection because you've been rejected before, you've been hurt before, and you're just like, I'm not letting anybody in. I'll hold people at arm's length. I'll let them get to know me to a point, but hey, man, I got a fence out there. I'm not letting you in the fence because I'm not going through that kind of pain of rejection and hurt again. And then there's the fear of commitment. So someone says, I'm not getting married again. Have you ever known someone to say that? It's like, I'm not doing that again. My last marriage ended in a divorce, and it was so painful, and I'm not going to deal with that again. I'm not going to commit to another person again like that. Or some people will say, I'm not going to commit to my church because you've had a religious leader or some priest or pastor that did you wrong or did something wrong and disappointed you, and uh, you're just saying, hey, look, I'm not going to commit myself in a church again. Some of you have the fear of being single. And what happens when you have the fear of being single is you lower your standards. And some of you are thinking, man, I'm getting up there in age, and this might be the last plane in my terminal here, man. I mean, to take this plane and fly, you know what I'm saying? Because I might not get another chance. And what happens is, is when, you're, when you have a fear there, it makes you um, do things you wouldn't normally do. And so you start saying to yourself, hey, this person doesn't share the same spirituality as me, but you know what I'll do is I'll just, I'll just drag him to church and have Pastor Doug change him. Well, that doesn't work that way, does it? Um, and what happens is, is later on, you start dealing with all kinds of fights because the two of you weren't in unity when you got married about your spirituality, and you start fighting about where the kids, what the kids are going to do on Sunday, see? Then there's also a fear of failure. I've known people that... They fear failure so much that they spend all their time at the office working and miss out on all the other relationships that God has for them in their life, like their family and others. And then, of course, there's what we call FOMO. We know about FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. 
So you're looking at your social media, you look at Instagram or whatever, you know, Snapchat. I don't know what the cool kids look at these days, but uh, whatever you're looking at and you see someone's highlight reel of their life and you fear that you're missing out on what, uh, what they're doing, all the great fun out there. But I wish, I just wish, 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 I'm praying to God that God would show me how to do this, but it would create a social media low light reel that it would just randomly, someone's phone would just on its own, take pictures of them in their lowest points of life so we could all see what the reality of the situation is. Um, because I'm telling you right now, I'm not nearly as good as my social media make me, makes me look, you know, and you're the same just like me. Um, and so it, there's no sense in, in being fearful about missing out on other people's highlight reels. But then there's also a, a fear of violence, and that's because we see on television experience, some of you in our urban schools, the violence that's there. Um, there's also uh, the school shootings and the um, church shootings and all these shootings, crime everywhere. Um, in fact, here at the church, we've had to take precautions um, to make sure that it's a safe place to come and worship. And we're not going to stop worshiping no matter what violent things happen. Um, and one of the things you have to come to terms with if you're going to follow Jesus is that it won't keep you out of, uh, you know, violent situations. Look at the New Testament and what Paul had to endure for the sake of the gospel. Now, we're not going to intentionally put ourselves in dangerous situations, but when we follow Jesus, sometimes it may put us in harm's way. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, right? We have a great reward for that. And I'm... Uh, a harmless fuzzball, right? Not known for my fighting prowess, I assure you of that. But as I've followed Christ and tried to take the gospel to different people, I've been stomped on by the combat boots of an angry, drunk street person. I've uh, been held up at gunpoint in another country where I was trying to minister, and that is nothing compared to the violence that some in this room have experienced. But we will continue to take the gospel no matter the danger or the cost because it's the power of God, the salvation to those who believe. See? And what, when it comes to being willing to face dangerous situations, it separates those who are for real and those who are not. Look, I understand some of you are just coming here and you're thinking, hey, man, if God will make my life cushier and better and all that um, and nicer and everything, then I'll get into that. But I want you to know you're going to be sorely disappointed because Jesus hands you a cross and says, carry it daily and follow me. See, that's what following Jesus is all about. But look at this next facet of calling out to God. Call out identity. Call out identity. David prayed, many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Well, the key to interpreting this part is that phrase where it says, God will not deliver him. You understand the context of what's going on there is that David is being hunted down by his rogue son, Absalom. Absalom is kind of like the Kylo Ren of the Bible. I mean, he was an evil son here. And he was hunting his dad down with a, a group of soldiers to try and kill him so that Absalom could claim sole right to his father's throne. Well, what's taking place here is that David is not being paranoid when he says all these thousands of people are coming after me. Have you ever known someone that they're kind of self-absorbed and they, they, they think everybody's talking about me when nobody's really talking about them? Nobody really. Maybe two people are talking about it. That's not a big deal. But um, David really does have thousands of soldiers 
after him, and he has a reason to be afraid. And what the commentators help me to understand about this particular text is that when they say, when it says, many are saying of me, and God will not deliver him, uh, basically what's happening there is that the people are comparing David to the previous king, Saul. They're saying, God has left David just like he left Saul. God will not deliver David just like he took out and rejected Saul. See, what, see what's going on there? And then further it could go, the people could say, well, you know, look at what David's done wrong. Look at his track record. I mean, here's a guy that committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then he murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite. And he's done all kinds of awful things. Is that really the kind of person who should be a king? After all, God took out and rejected Saul, and he's rejecting David. You know Saul, he was the previous, like, manipulative king. He was controlling. He was filled with fear, and he disobeyed direct orders from God, Saul did. And that is why uh, God rejected him. And so put yourself in David's shoes for just a minute. You're hearing all this, but David still had faith. How did David know that God had not rejected him too? How did he know that? We're going to come back to that in just a minute. Because some of you have done stuff that you're ashamed of, just like I have. And you're asking yourself the question, how do I know God hadn't rejected me? I think that's a good question. We'll answer that here in just a minute. But look at the next facet of calling out. Call out the shield. He says, but you, Lord, are a what? Shield around me. This would be one of those shields that you hold up when you're going into the battle. There's no protection in the back of the shield. I mean, if you're running away, then you're vulnerable to be shot in the back, right, by an arrow or whatever. And so this is, is the shield represents your faith, where you're moving forward because uh, faith is the opposite of fear. Some of you have read Ephesians in the New Testament of the Bible, a little letter that Paul wrote to these people in Ephesus, and you read the section that talks about the armor of God, and it says to take up the shield of what? Faith, like three people knew. Okay, so the shield of, I don't know, what is, what's the answer? Okay, no, the shield of faith, because remember, faith is the opposite of fear. If you have faith, you have courage to move into through your problems. You can't go around your fear. You can't run from your fear. But to really be healed of your fear, you have to face it head on and go towards the battle. So uh, my son collects tarantulas and spiders and stuff. He has like 18 tarantulas in his room. That's why we don't go in there, okay? Uh, you know, I, I know he's got to have a remote in there or something that if I cross him, he's going to press a button and spiders are just going to be attacking me from all angles, you know? Uh, but our, our dear friend and ministry partner here at uh, uh, City Church, uh, Michelle Cook, she leads Kids City Ministries, she wanted to get over her fear of spiders. And so I brought this little video that shows you uh, my son uh, putting one of his little uh, spiders on her. This is a pink-toed tarantula named Fluffy. 
and Fluffy is walking across Michelle, and she says that this was uh, some of the most terrifying moments of her life as Fluffy was crawling over her. Um, but look, what some of you felt when you saw that video, you're like, nah, uh-uh, uh-uh, not happening, right? Because you get the eebie-jeebies from these things, as you should. Hebrew word, eebie-jeebies, meaning, you know, about to wet myself. And that's the eebie-jeebies. So there are some of us, they're going to have to face the eebie-jeebies in a conversation to mend the fences, and you've been afraid of that conversation. You've been afraid to do anything about your fear. For some of you, it's like, it's time to start the business. And are you going to go the rest of your life living in fear, afraid to fulfill the vision that God has placed in your heart for your life? There are all kinds of things that fear is keeping us from experiencing God's best in our life. And you have to go through it. You can't hide from it and go around it. Look at the next facet of calling out. Call out for other people. David prays, may your blessing be on your people. And this reveals David's heart for the people. He loved the people. He wasn't against Absalom being the king because he didn't love Absalom. He just knew that Absalom didn't care about the people and wouldn't bring justice for God's people. David constantly is praying and revealing his heart as a shepherd to care for the people here. And, you know, uh, we see later on in the Bible, 1 John 4.18, we're told there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. It's because when when you get your focus off of yourself and onto loving and caring for other people, fear just subsides. It's why, you know, parents will put themselves, put themselves in harm's way for children because of love. I like the way um, the great George Washington Carver put it. He said, fear of something is at the root of hate for others, and hate within will eventually destroy the hater. If there's someone in your life that you hate, it will eat you away on the inside I also love what the great theologian Yoda says. Fear is a path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. It does, see? (laughs) And isn't that the truth? Man, I don't know if that sounded more like Yoda or Miss Piggy, but it's true. I said, man, if you've got hate in your heart, it leads to your own suffering, doesn't it? But when we take our eyes off ourselves, fear is selfish. Fear loves to look in the mirror at me, see? But love looks to others and dissipates fear in your heart when you care more about them. But look at this next facet. Call out your glory. Look at how David prays, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my what? My glory. You're my glory, Lord. You're the one that lifts my head high. And at this point in his life, David had lost whatever he could have considered his glory or his identity, hadn't he? I mean, he was no longer popular. 
he was a very popular king at one time. Remember, people sang songs about him. They would sing these songs like Saul has killed his thousands, but David is tens of thousands. There weren't any more songs about how cool David was anymore. He had lost um, his wealth. He had lost his power. That was all gone. He couldn't consider himself a good parent anymore because his own son was hunting him down to kill him. And so I want to ask you this question. What is your glory right now? What is the one thing in you that you fear losing the most? The great Augustine put it like this. Fear is the response of the human heart uh, when it's one thing is threatened. And you will find that one thing in you when you answer the question, what do you fear losing the most? What is your glory? For some people, their glory is in their job. Their identity is so wrapped up in what they do that if they were to lose it, it would crush their world. For other people, uh, their, their whole thing is their ability to be a good parent. Or for someone else, their, their one thing is their morality. Or other people, it's the popularity. For some people, their one thing is their body. It's like, hey, man, as long as I'm ripped, I'm good, right? Um, for other people, um, it's going to be like their ministry, In fact, I thank God that some years ago I had to spend some years out of the ministry so I didn't mix up my identity as a child of God with being a servant of God in the ministry. See, I don't have to be Pastor Doug. I'm just Doug, you know? So what is your one thing? And how is it that you know that God is your glory? Because what David said here is, Lord, I'm not king anymore. I'm not a good parent anymore. You're my glory. And so how did David know and how do you know that God had not rejected him like he had rejected Saul? Well, the answer to that question is in the next sentence. David prays, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. There's a whole lot in those two words, holy mountain. See, David knew precisely what had happened on the holy mountain, and it somehow gave him hope. He knew the story of Abram, and he knew that when Abram came before the Lord at the holy mountain, he was afraid. Look at Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. God says to Abram, do not be what? Afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Does that look familiar? Because Genesis 15 is a parallel passage to Psalm 3. God says, I'm your shield, your very great reward. And the next thing that God would ask Abram to do was something very strange to a modern audience. God asked Abram to take some farm animals and cut them in half. Now, that's strange to you and I because... We're very separated from our food. We think that meat comes from H-E-B, okay? Uh, But that's not really where all that comes from. But what's taking place here is that the reason God asked him to cut the farm animals in half is because God was ready to do what's called cut covenant. You know what cut covenant is? It means we're about to enter into a contract. We're about to enter into a deal Now, I'm almost reluctant to use the word contract in our modern setting 
because we have so many ways out of contracts, don't we? Don't we? We can just call an attorney and get us out of that contract, right? I'm just going to file chapter 11. I'm going to get some loophole where I can get out of the contract and save myself some money or whatever. But in those days, there weren't attorneys who could get you out of the deal. Things kind of work like on the west side downtown here, right on. Like you got skin in the game and someone's picking to throw down if you don't, uh, uh, you know, fulfill your part of the agreement. And so what cutting covenant is, is these animals would cut, be cut in half and the two parties that were going to be involved in the contract would walk between the two halves of animals, oftentimes getting blood on their feet. And it's like saying, if I don't fulfill my side of this bargain, you can do this to me. They were playing for keeps in those days. People did not dishonor those contracts lightly. It was covenant, cutting covenant. And so God approaches Abraham, and Abraham prepares the animals. And then a fire pot comes down, representing God himself. And the fire pot goes between the two halves of animals. And God will not allow Abram to get up. He stays seated. Only God went between the two halves of animals. You know what that means. It's like God is saying, If I don't fulfill my part of the bargain, then you can do this to me. And if you don't do your part of the bargain, you can do this to me. See? And so this gave Abram hope. He knew that God always fulfills his part of the bargain. So when Abram had to face his greatest fear of his life, the one thing in his life on the holy mountain. He walked up the holy mountain. What was Abram's greatest fear? It was losing his one and only son, Isaac. He had to wait until he was a senior citizen to even have this son. And he feared losing him more than he feared anything else in this life. And Abram, Abraham was on his way up that holy mountain where his son Isaac would be sacrificed in a religious sacrifice. But God fulfilled his half and provided a ram in the thicket to be the sacrifice, thus saving Isaac's life. And David, many years later, knew what happened on the holy mountain. And he knew that God would always be faithful. And David clung to God's faithfulness because he knows that it's serious to break the covenant with God. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. David knew the truth that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord, isn't it? He knew that you're supposed to fear the one, not just the one that can destroy your body, but the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell is what David knew. But he also knew and trusted that God would fulfill the covenant even if it had been broken. And God did because, you know what? I've broken the covenant and you've broken the covenant, but who passed between the halves of animals? God did. And years later, on a holy mountain, Golgotha, God allowed his own son to be sacrificed to pay the penalty for my sins and for yours. Remember God said, if the the covenant has not been fulfilled, 
you can do this to me. And it was done when Jesus died on the cross. And, you know, we could go through all these ministry prayers to pray about our fear. But it doesn't matter if you've not first begun a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and applied the cross to your life. The first step is the beginning of wisdom, the fear of the Lord. And if you would like to begin a relationship with God right now, today, I want to lead you in a prayer to do that. Before we pray, though, one of the things I know is that some people, you fear, some of you are afraid you're hearing these thoughts in your mind to say, man, you know, if you really become a Christian, you're going to be weird. Where do you think that thought comes from? Some of you are hearing this thought, you know, if you really become a Christian, people are going to talk about you. What's that? Or if you really become a Christian, how's it going to affect your relatives who don't buy into God and Jesus and all that kind of stuff? Man, it sure is going to screw up your holidays, isn't it? Some of you are afraid that God won't accept you, and you're hearing these thoughts. God would not accept you after all that you've done. You'll be rejected like Saul. Do you think that's God speaking it to you? I'm here to tell you right now, that is not God saying it to you. What God says is all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. All who come. He said as many as received him. If you can receive him, then you get the right to be called a child. Not a minion, a child of God that he loves. So what do you say we do it right now? Kick uh, fear in the teeth and receive Jesus. Now let's bow for prayer. And maybe you just want to say something to him just like this. Look, Lord, I know I've sinned. But God, right now, the best I know how, I am choosing of my own volition to believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And he rose again from the dead to give me new life. And I'd receive it right now. I receive it. I receive it. I'm not afraid of it anymore. Thank you for coming into my life. As we continue in prayer, let's pray about some fears, shall we? And for some of you, you're going to be bold enough to go there in your own heart and mind. Jesus, we ask you to bring to mind memories from our past that brought fear into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want to get real today. And even though those are painful memories, we're going to bring them up to allow God by the Holy Spirit to process and heal them. And if you would like to pray about a particular fear in your life, I actually typed out this prayer and I'm making it available on the screen right now in case you want to look up from your prayer to just kind of whisper it or say it in your own heart, however you're most comfortable. But pray this, dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I have allowed fear to control me. Please forgive me. I renounce the spirit of fear. I choose to live by faith, not fear. In Jesus' name and by his blood, I cancel Satan's authority over me from the fear. And in Jesus' name, I command fear to leave me now with all its works and effects. Holy Spirit, I invite you to fill me 
heal me from the deepest roots of fear. Holy Spirit, please give me a word, picture, or a thought about my life now. Let's be still for just a minute and listen to the words and pictures that Holy Spirit brings to our minds now. Spirit, thank you for the gentle words of comfort that you're giving today. Words of protection and peace and love. Pictures that represent safety in the presence of Almighty God. Images of healing and change and restoration and help. We can't thank you enough for what you're speaking to our minds through your word today. And thank you that you made it all possible through the cross. And we want to receive every benefit of the cross that's possible to receive in this life. If you'd like to make some declarations of your newfound freedom from fear, I'm going to put these declarations on the screen and I'd like you to read them loud and proud with me. Ready? Here we go. God has not given me a spirit of fear. I have power, love, and discipline. I'm no longer a victim, but a conqueror. I'm filled with faith, not fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. And I think that last one is worthy of us singing together. So Jake's going to come now and we're going to sing the truth that we're no longer slaves to fear. I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I'm no
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, so much that we're not slaves to anything. Certainly not fear. But we're children who can run free and play in the kingdom. <laughs> and so we thank you for the good work that you're doing us. And we receive it all, all the fruit, gifts, fillings, and empowerment you want to give us today. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.